for March 7th, 2019, it's the Lullabot Podcast. It's the Lullabot Podcast, episode 232. I'm actually the senior developer at Lullabot. With me, as always, co-host of the show, senior front-end dev, Mike Herschel. Hey, Mike. Hey, how's it going? It's great. We're at the Smoke Tree Ranch. It's beautiful outside, although it rained earlier. It rained in California? Yeah, no I was was indoors. I didn't notice. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, So we're in Palm Springs, California at the annual Lullabot Retreat. We all get together once a year, talk about the business, talk about how we improve ourselves, our workflows, and we get the chance to actually see each other. Working remotely, that isn't always the possibility, is it? Yeah, and we get to hang out in the hot tub. I just had my feet in the hot tub. You, You got all the way in. Yes. Uh, So we're here today talking about migrations. It's one of those things that I think a lot of times can cause a lot of heartburn. We can migrate to the hot tub later. (laughs) But first, we're going to talk about Drupal migrations. And I think it's something that's happened in fairly often these days, kind of in the current Drupal lifecycle, because we're moving from Drupal 7 to Drupal 8. Um, We're still moving from, you know, one CMS to Drupal or something like that. And they're always a little bit different. So with us today, we're talking with some Lullabots that have a a lot of migration experience, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Uh, First up, we have a new Lullabot, a developer here at at Lullabot. She is an organizer of Drupal Camp Asheville, which is officially the second best Drupal Camp in the world. Uh, right behind Drupal Camp Colorado, right? No, Florida, Florida, oh. Florida. Yeah. And uh, she is working on the migration at the state of Georgia, correct? Georgia.gov, yes. Yeah. A- April Sides, welcome. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Also with us today, we have the Lullabot CTO, Karen Stevenson. Hey, Karen. Hey there. So good, you've, good to talk to you've you. done migrations for a while now. I have. Drupal. I've done quite a few of them, I actually. mean, back to we were working with Martha Stewart yep. several years ago. Yep. Um, that was a big migration. Yep. D6 migrations, D7 migrations, and now D8 migrations. And we've yep. talked to you recently about the Lullabot.com migration. That's right. That's yeah, a, that's a big one, and, and you're we're also, really happy to get that behind us. <laughs> and you've, you, you're also involved with the state of Georgia and other projects along I the am. way. I'm also helping on that one. Awesome. And next up, we have the CEO of Wampy Corp. Um, <laughs> whatever that means. I'm <laughs> yeah, not sure. Whatever, whatever that means. He was also a senior developer here at Lullabot. Welcome, Wampy NR. Hello, everybody. Hey, Wampy. <laughs> Glad you're here. Wampy is working Likewise. on the Bravo TV migration. Yes, I am. Yeah. So, migrations, why are they so hard? Like, what's the problem? <laughs> That, that's a good question. There's a lot of things that can make a migration hard. Um, the, the easiest thing is a Drupal to Drupal migration, because at least we have some idea of what we're coming from and what we're going to. And, and um, there actually is a lot of um, pretty good code in core now for handling a Drupal to Drupal migration. So if you are creating a new site that is basically a mirror of the earlier site, um, to some extent, you can kind of push a button and, and do it. Does that actually work, though? It work. It works if your new site is pretty simple and if it matches the exist the existing site. Yeah. So, like uh, content types might have to have fairly standard fields. Right. Normal normal kinds of if fields. Normal kinds of war- formatters. And... A lot of things are the fields, the formatters, the content types. If your content types are all nodes, uh, that kind of thing, you'll you you are able, 
likely uh, going to find that you can you can do a pretty much of a straight up migration out of the box. But that's not very normal for the type of projects that we do, right? Right, not uh, at all. Wampy, you were the first one to shake your head no <laughs> that those migrations don't actually work that way. My particular issue was that there was a lot of data to migrate, a lot of fields, and a lot of contributed modules that didn't have a match in Drupal 8. So when I did what Karen, what Karen said, and I started migrating stuff, I got tons of errors, like things that weren't found, plugins that didn't exist, filters that didn't exist. So I had to go one by one. Some of them were core things that weren't migrated yet. Some others were contributed modules that didn't have a migration path from seven to eight. And that was a long process. But I'd like to step back a little bit further than that, because my first issue with it was that while there is, a, I think, a really good foundation for Migrate, getting to know what's the right way to get your migration process in place is very tricky because uh, I opened Drupal.org and it says away, but then there are thousands of articles in the in the web with people suggesting you to do this this way or the other. There are still open issues in core and in contrib about this. So it took me like, I remember that it took me like two weeks of just reading. I had to read the Migrate Core module to really understand what it was doing. I read a lot of articles. I read all the Drupal.org documentation. And then I was able to, to make a decision and start like setting up how I did things to work. Has this ever happened to you when you started, April? Right, this Karen? is Drupal 8 migration from Drupal 7 to Drupal 8 for georgia.gov. It's the first time I've ever done a migration. Um, so I had to learn from scratch. And uh, Karen gave me a lot of guidance and uh, recommended, you know, just kind of like starting with one content type. And in the case with georgia.gov, um, the, the content structure was very different. Um, content types weren't one-to-one -one from Drupal 7 to Drupal 8. They're split into multiple different content types. So we have some migrations that are migrating just a piece of a content type into one, and then taking other pieces and migrating them into other different content types and making all those connections happen as well um, in the process. So um, I think that there's a great foundation for the migration system, and I think... Um, you know, being able to use those YAML files to kind of outline a lot of the basics and then build your process plugins and your source plugins to just do whatever you need, little tweaks here and there that you need to do for customization. Can you back up a little bit? Um, can someone explain, like, kind of maybe the 10,000-foot overview of the migration system maybe to a Drupal developer that has never done a migration before? Okay. Karen, you want to go? Sure. Um, so... If you've done a Drupal 7 migration, you'll you'll recognize a lot of things uh, about the Drupal 8 migration because it's kind of at a, at a high level, it's the same thing. The idea is that for everything you want to migrate, you have a source. Um, where is it coming from? It's coming from the D7 MySQL database or it's coming from some other source. There's, there's multiple things that you can use as the original source. And it's got a destination. And the destination is almost always a Drupal 8 uh, content type or field that you're trying to migrate into. And then in between, there is a process. And the process is that part where you take all the things that have to be changed between the, the source and the destination. And so all of this in, in Drupal 7, all of this stuff was done in code. You'd write custom classes and you'd uh, map your fields and do all that kind of thing. Uh, in Drupal 8, it's different. In Drupal 8, we use a YAML file. And a YAML file, if you've not seen a YAML file, is basically just a representation of an array. 
And so it's a way, it's a text file, it's human readable. You can, you can actually just write it um, in text without any problem. And so you have, for instance, uh, every field that you're going to create in the D8 uh, database, you have the name of the field, and then you have what's the process to get the, what, what, what's the source of that, of that field's data. So the name of the field, the D7 field maybe that you're mapping it to, uh, what's the process for getting the data transformed in any way that it needs to be transformed. Um, so there's a simple get process, which means it doesn't need any transformation. It's just a one-to-one. -one. You just copy the same data over in the same way. Or you have, uh, you have a whole variety of uh, other kinds of processes that are available. And they are just, uh, each one of these processes is a plugin. And you just give the name of the plugin and perhaps some parameters that go with it. Um, and so, for instance, a really common plugin would be um, migration lookup. So it could be something like, I've got, I've got a, uh, an entity reference field um, in Drupal 8, and I had an entity reference field in Drupal 7, but the Drupal 7 ID that I was referencing might be different in Drupal 8. So the migration, uh, the migration lookup will say, let's get the corresponding ID after the migration so that it still maps to the right thing. And there's all kinds of other things in there. There's crazy things like a strip tags plugin, and there's, um, I, I, you skip guys. On, skip on empty. Skip on yeah. empty is a really interesting one. Um, skip on empty, you can use two ways. You can say, if I encounter skip on empty, skip this record completely. Like, if there's a certain value in a field, I don't want to migrate this at all. Or it could be a skip on empty. It could mean just don't do this field. Stop stop migrating this field, but go ahead and continue yeah. and do the rest of the you record. You can also ch chain plugins one after another. So, for example, um, if you have a lot of embedded content in the body, you can parse it through several processors, each is its own class, and and by the end one will pass the result to the to the next plugin, the next plugin, the next plugin, until you get the, fi the, the finally processed body. And one thing though is that because they're plugins, you can write your own, right? We're often Correct. dealing with, you know, clients with Snowflake data that it needs to be touched in 17 different ways and writing your own plugin might be the right answer and Drupal's going to let you do that too. Totally. I, it's actually a fairly straightforward process because uh, you can just use Drush to generate a template for the plugin and start writing it. So in a minute, you are already writing the code that you need and place it in the migration file where you need it. I'd like to highlight something else that shocked me when I started working with migrating aid, which is the auto discovery of fields and, and mappings. For example, um, you said it before, Karen, that in, in seven, um, uh, with migrate, you had to do the mapping. I don't think how much, I don't know how much time I would have spent doing the mapping of the fields from the seven site in Bravo to eight, because there are so many fields. Georgia must be crazy, right? Because um, we're talking about hundreds of sites here. So that's something that you cannot do it by hand because you, you're not, not only going to take you a long time, but you, you also make mistakes. But um, this is something that you can extend to other things. For example, I was, uh, Bravo uses media and, and the, the migrating media to Drupal 8 is still an, an open issue. Like there's not a solution in core already. So the, the way we are, we are approaching it, and, and that's, that's something you can find in Drupal.org is, um, is a patch that, 
discovers what media bundles, sorry, what file entity types you have in Drupal 7. I'm talking about the 7 to 8 uh, migration, what fields each of these file entities have, and it creates for you each of the corresponding media bundles along with their fields, along with a content to a migration from 7 to 8, which is such a time saver, and we didn't have this before. So let's talk some uh, real world migrations. Um, let's go around and I, I want to hear a specific problem that, that you encountered, why it was a pain in the ass and, and what you had to do to solve it. It sounds like a job interview question. Tell me about a problem you had once and the steps you took to solve it. Yeah. Let's start with you, April. So I would say um, paragraphs and paragraphs nested in paragraphs along with field collections. Um, you go, you go, you can go down a rabbit hole <laughs> to try to process each of those so items. So a paragraph inside of a paragraph that's in a field collection. Um, just adding field collections in is as another thing. Like okay, just a, a lot of like rabbit hole kind of stuff. And uh, what I ended up doing was um, just sort of looping through each item. And I had functions that would determine how each type of paragraph, each type of field collection would be rendered in Drupal 8. It might be an embed snippet. It might be, um, it might even, you know, to begin with, just stubbing out like some, some output text to say, hey, there's an image here. And then we could go back and actually decide what needs to be um, put into that place. Um, and just kind of generating all of that, and we had like one column and two column and three column layouts um, that would also hold all these other paragraphs. Um, it just kind of looped through and rendered each one of them and then compressed all of that into the body text and then returned that to the body field. Um, that, was, that was pretty interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I, was, I was impressed that she got that working because that is you know, probably one of the most complex things that you have to deal with is a lot of things that are nested inside of other things and somehow or other. Basically, what we were doing on Georgia is we were trying to sort of unravel that mess. So we were not trying to create similar nested entities on the other side. We were trying to sort of figure out what was in there, unravel it, and basically just drop it all in the body um, so that it so you didn't have that again in Drupal 8. Does Jeff Eaton know about this? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Eaton helped create the content model that we're migrating into, which is different Whoa. than the original content model. Yeah. <laughs> Put it all in the body field. Move yes. on. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yes. No. There's always that. Structured content's a good thing. We want to Structured kinda, yeah. content is definitely a good thing. And um, structured content is obviously easier to migrate because it's structured. Um, which is another reason why structured content going forward will make a lot of sense. Um, but the but the content that we inherited, um, at, as is true in a lot of clients, right, is is not structured or not completely structured, and especially when you get you know the everything dropped into the body field kind of a thing. So. Karen, do you have any other problems you want oh, to talk about? Oh, there's so many problems. So <laughs> yeah. many problems. It's hard to even know where to start. You can go back through several years worth yeah. of migrations. Yeah. Uh, so um, one of the things that I did in the in the Lullabot migration is uh, because the, the Lullabot D7 site is a decoupled site, we didn't have some things that we needed in Drupal 8. So, but, the, but the Drupal site, I mean, it was still a Drupal site. It's a Drupal the, site. So the, the migration is Drupal to Drupal, right, but... Right. But the but the uh, because the front end on the D7 site is not a Drupal site. Uh, Drupal didn't know about some things that were going on in the front end. So, for instance, our Drupal Drupal 7 database doesn't know what the URLs are because the front end determines that. Our Drupal 7 database doesn't know what the um, 
there there were a number of other things, but the URLs were, were one of the big menu items. So there's there's no menu structure in Drupal. The, the menu structure was constructed all, with data that was a part of the node, but not completely. Right. So yeah. there were fields that the Drupal seven database is structured. Um, and there's fields that represent all these things, but the front end did the assembly. And so Drupal didn't know how things got assembled. And so what I had to do in the migration was kind of reassemble everything so that I could pull all that information back into Drupal. And um, so what I ran into was things like I needed to create menu items, but the menu items depended on the content. And so I couldn't create the menu items until the content was created, but I couldn't finish the content until the menu items existed. And one of the things that I found that was like magical was that there are uh, event handlers in there. And so there there's a way to basically stop in the middle of a migration. You can say at the end of migration X, you know, whatever migration I want to do, which is basically uh, the last migration I needed in order to be able to build the menu. I could stop at that point and then say, run another process, build the menu system, and then go back and finish the migration. And that was, for instance, how I handled that problem. Wampy? Mine is similar than April's because uh, in Bravo TV they were... Have you done any other migrations besides Bravo recently? Uh, previous one was uh, like three, three, four years okay. ago when it was MSNBC. So you've had some migration stuff in the past. So I did, I did. Picking up the Drupal 8 was all right? Um, it was different. Yeah. Things, things have changed so much, for, but for the better. I'm, I'm, it's exciting. It's tricky. But it's really, really exciting and fun. Like I had a really good time setting up the migration and testing it and battling with some of the challenges I faced. But what I would like to highlight is it, I'm coming from the same angle as uh, April because Bravo TV, they use um, multi-field, which is an alternative to field collection. So we had to migrate those multi-field fields into paragraphs. And there was no migrate path. So what I had to do is go to Drupal.org. I found that there was a patch that is still open for migrating field collections to paragraphs. So I had to take that patch and then understand how multi-field works in seven in detail, understand how paragraphs works in seven in eight in detail, and then find a way to get that patch that will let me migrate all those field multi-fields into paragraphs in eight. And that took me a while. And then, and then I was really glad you did that because Lullabot also had multi-field. Oh, I think you're right. You're in right. the case of Lullabot, I was not trying to migrate into paragraphs. I was trying to migrate back into content types. Good. So what I did <laughs> is after you figured out how to solve the problem, I grabbed your code and then I figured That's out how awesome. to reorganize it and solve my problem. <laughs> that sounds like an open source totally. story. Yes. Totally. <laughs> I think uh, multi-field is a Dave Reed module, right? It, it is. is. It's, it a, is. it's a great module, but there's no upgrade path yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. Or, or nobody has posted it because yeah, at I, this point. Yeah, the thing is that I've seen that there are many articles that say, here is how can you migrate this. But it's the migrations are written. Like you have see you can see the fields are one to one written there. There is no there's no code that generate that introspects your data the source database and generates these migration files. So most of the articles I found in the on the net apply when you have a small database or a database with not much complexity but when you have complexity these are not valid you need to go deeper than that so um, you can generate these migration files automatically otherwise you would spend too much writing them 
We actually, in Georgia, did end up writing them by hand because the content model was completely different. Because you were changing, right? The automatic migration did us no good. It it would have created something that we would have thrown out most of what it created. Gotcha. That um, is so in that case, we had to go the other direction. Mm-hmm. We actually created the content types on all the fields first sure. and mm-hmm. then just migrated into them. We didn't migrate that structure at all. Right. right. And then we went through a process because you know, another thing that's interesting about migration is just thinking about how you make the process. Um, for instance, one of, one of the interesting challenges was April was writing a lot of the migration code and I was reviewing a lot of it. And it's really complicated, right? This stuff gets really murky and deep and all that kind of thing. And just figuring out how to sort of pull this thing out into little pieces where you could do a PR that was actually reviewable and say, okay, we're only going to get this much done in this. So it might be just a couple fields on a couple content types. Mm -hmm. It wasn't everything because everything would have been a PR that nobody could have ever reviewed, right? So I'm interested in that. How was that process? Like, let's say you wanted to add a new migration or you wanted to adjust the migration. Well, at the same time, the development team is working, right? So you need to work in parallel with that. How was the development process of you making the changes and then sharing with everybody else to peer review and then merge it? Right, so we actually broke up the tickets um, into different content types. And we we started out with just one content type and realized that we could make tickets for sort of simple fields. So let's, you know, these are things that are just going to be, we're going to get the content, we're going to put it in the field. And those are the only things we're going to focus on in this round. And then we would go into more complex problems where we had, um, we had built some, uh, what do we call those fields? Rich fields, right. So we had a different kind of structure for rich fields. So like an email would have multiple pieces of content and then it would be related. Um, so we had a round where we were doing things that would become rich field content. And then we had another round where we would um, work on the, the paragraphs and, and all of that. So we kind of, and we would focus on one content type for that. So what we've kind of done is gone through, like we've picked a content type for each sort of problem like that we need to solve. So now it, that we're kind of at the end with the, the WYSIWYG cleanup, like what needs to happen with an embed from Drupal 7 and what does it look like in Drupal 8? What does this document link look like in Drupal 8? Those sort of things. And once we can complete that, then we're going to need to uh, come back around and make sure we do it for each other content type that might be affected by that sort of process. Yeah. And then the development team changes content types and fields and... That's never yes. happened, has yeah. it? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, for the most part, those have not been that hard. It's just a matter of knowing that it's happened, right? So yeah. um, I did notice some errors, and I just kind of, like, pulled out some fields. Like, okay, this is er- this is a problem right now. We don't have the ticket ready to work on, so let's just pull these fields out, and we'll circle back around and, and redo that. But um, it's mostly about the the structure in Drupal 8. We just needed to make sure the content mapped to the right location. Were there many times where you did something and broke the resulting migration so the development team was blocked or something or they didn't have a database dump or a site to download a database to work on? I think um, working with within Tugboat a lot, um, we've got a base install with a base uh, that's run the process. Let's say it's run the migration um, and it's successful. So we have this database that can be used to build local development sites. And so they always have kind of a starting point. Mm-hmm. So if the migration is, is uh, killing something, it's not going to affect like, that base instance of the database. Right. Like they always have something that they can reference. So did Tugboat run the migration then? So and yes, we have Tugboat 
can run the migration, or what we've done in a lot of cases, is um, we've got the base install that has the simple migration. So mm -hmm. for instance, we stop at the end of the simple migration. We've got databases that have the simple migration in it, but they don't have later migrations. Mm -hmm. And then we, April will come up with a PR that has mm -hmm. more migration work in it. Um, we'll run that through Tugboat. We'll literally go to Tugboat and do a rollback and a remigrate. That'll pick up all the new ah, stuff that I she see. added. I we see. can test that on Tugboat and make sure that it's working right and then decide whether or not it's right. ready to merge in. Who wants to explain Tugboat just to make sure that everybody understands? Um, Tugboat is... It's a, it's a Lullabot uh, it, product, first it of all. It's yeah. something that Lullabot has built. It, as, as a part of our, you know, building Drupal websites over the years, it was uh, one of these, hey, wouldn't it be cool if it worked this way and we made it work this way, right? Yeah. So, so, so how does it work? Um, I don't know. My first, my first experience with Tagboat was when I w we were doing the MSNBC project, and, and suddenly when I create a pull request, I get a minute after a message from a bot that says, there is a URL for this, for this pull request, and here it is. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. So it's a URL per pull request. Yep, every time a pull request is, is made, uh, the software runs in the background and spools up your website with the new code base. Exactly. So exactly. it's an easy way to just jump in there and test. Exactly. So I discovered it was a great way to show new stuff to stakeholders, to do peer reviewing, to, for example, whenever you were working with a third party that gave you a JavaScript file to integrate with, you could tell them, hey, is this fine? Is this correct? Can you verify? Yes. And then you would merge it. So it's been a great time saver for us since we started using it years ago. Yeah, Tugboat it's, also works with uh, GitLab, Bitbucket, and pretty much everything else. And, and the website, for those that are interested in this, is tugboat.qa. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be Drupal. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it works for, it, it's changed our whole development process here. It's, it's especially useful in a migration, what we found, is because if the only other way that I could, for instance, uh, help review April's PRs would be I'd have to locally create a local environment do the, that migration on my local, and especially if we're doing several PRs and several different kinds of migrations, just, just the process of building all that locally takes so long that I literally could hardly get through the PRs. And this way, I can go review everything on Tugboat. I don't have to build it locally, and uh, it's just been a huge time saver. And really great because Georgia.gov is multi-site, so and some of the sites don't have the content in Drupal ah. 7. So you're you're testing content migrations on various different sites to make sure that you're covering all the bases. Um, yeah, and I've also found recently that it's running faster on Tugboat than it is locally, even if you're like, because you <laughs> right. have to rebuild also locally that, and you have yeah. to do yeah. all of that. And so when I'm when I was doing test cases, I was like, I should have been using Tugboat the whole time because I could just it's already built. I just need to roll back re-import, and then I can test it and find those test cases for QA. We're talking migrations on the Lullabot podcast here at the Lullabot Retreat. We're all around the table having a good time, right, Mike? I am. Yep, right after this, we're going to get together and talk a little bit about keeping the migrations straight and maybe uh, some more stuff all about migrations on the <laughs> Lullabot podcast right after this. <laughs> Whether you're learning how to build sites with Drupal or diving into the code, there are community-powered camps, summits, sprints, and trainings happening all over the world. Find all of these and more at DrupalCal.com. And of course, if you want to boost your Drupal chops from the comfort of your own home, point your browser to DrupalEyes.me and stuff your brain full of carefully crafted videos and tutorials. Hi, this is Liz Trudeau from the Drupal Association. 
DrupalCon Seattle is the conference where cutting-edge content, networking, and contributing come together. Meet thousands of users, developers, and designers using Drupal. Level up your skills April 8th through the 12th at the Washington State Convention Center. Registration rates increase March 1st, so don't delay. Events.drupal.org. Welcome back to the Lullabot Podcast. We're talking about migrations. Only because we're not in the swimming pool, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're at the uh, Lullabot Retreat here in Palm Springs. We get together once a year, and we have some migration experts at Lullabot all around the table talking migrations. Hi, guys. Hey. 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 <laughs> hey, so one thing that I wanted to just kind of mention real quick is that um, one thing that's really great about migrations in Drupal is that they're, it's, it's a mature thing. Right. Migrations right. like yep. the whole migrate system has been around for 10 years or so, yeah. I would say. Since Drupal 6. So I, yeah. I think that was kind of the beginning of my, the migrate module was and Drupal 6. The old way was like a, a inside of Drupal field mapping, you know, a bunch of select boxes, right. this field to that field, this field to that field, and all then in, run all your migration. In code, basically, everything's in code. Yeah. And, and then I remember it was a, a Drush based, you know, essentially plugins where that you're writing all your migrations and all of the commands had to happen by running a Drush command, right? To make new migrations and old, you know, right? To run yeah, it. Yeah, I think, I think all the way through there's been both both the ability to run it in the UI and okay. the ability to run it in Drush, which is still true. I remember being at uh, DrupalCon San Francisco um, 10 years ago or whatever that's been, um, and Mike Ryan was giving his talk about migrations. Oh, uh, yeah. And I was actually fairly upset when I left because <laughs> all he talked about was the spreadsheets he used to keep fields straight. <laughs> <laughs> And recently, I've come to the conclusion that that's what a migration is. Like, the code part is relatively simple. Things are going from here, and data is going from here to there, uh, moving from one database field to the other. But I would disagree with the actually, code is fairly simple. But yeah, ahead. I guess it depends on what you're doing. It depends on what you're doing. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, it can be fairly, fairly simple. But keeping that data straight, making sure you have the yep. data that you want in the end right. is kind of the... That is true. That's the point. That is true. Yeah. I, I, let's pick... Uh, in in Bravo, we were lucky because we didn't have to change content types. They wanted what um, Greg Dunlap mentioned in an article, um, a forklift migration. So right. whatever is in 7, they want it in 8, which well, it, it's great because we did the migration and then um, now we're at the stage where the editorial team is very fine that everything it is working as, as it was um, with, with no major changes. So that's, that was a, a relief for us. But the challenge we found was that we needed a development team working on migrating the code and obviously they needed some data to work with and we also had to make changes on the migration every day so the the question was how we can make these changes on the migration without affecting the the development team on top of that we didn't have a development server until way later in the pro in the process so we worked with the tagboat so um, there wasn't, therefore, an easy way to do drush some uh, site alias, get me a database, because there wasn't a development environment. It was tagboat. And we, we thought about doing dynamic site aliases, but we didn't, uh, we didn't find a, an easy way of setting them up. So we were working with uh, a database dump that we used with, um, for migrations that only had configuration in it. And, and we would have also the result of the latest full migration, which is what the development team would use and also what Tagboat would use. So they would, they could verify their work while all the, 
uh, running migrations and testing migrations would happen in, in CircleCI, a uh, continuous integration tool. Did okay. you do anything like that, like in, in some sort of Jenkins or CircleCI? Like what would run the migration in your case? Well, we do, we do have a CircleCI workflow um, that James set up, and I actually can't give you a lot of details about how he set it up, but he, mm. he got that part all working. And he also figured out how to do things like the multi-site like, gotcha. so that we can run individual migrations for every different multi-site and keep keep them separate. Is Circle running the migration every time it builds or um, I really don't know either. Yeah, I don't I don't know either. I think one of the issues was we did not want the the migration running every time we built Tugboat mm. because that was just going to be too too uh, time intensive and performance problems and all that kind of thing. So the idea, that's where we come up with the idea of we've got at a state, at some point in time, we've got a database that is kind of the, the code at that point in time. And then we manage the migrations by, like I said, basically going in, doing a migrate rollback and then re-migrate, which will go back in and basically just run the migration again, picking up any new stuff that we've added. Mm -hmm. And that actually has worked pretty well in terms of a process. Right. As far as uh, like organizing the files, all the YAML files that we were talking about before are like part of the configuration of the site with the configuration mo uh, management system in Drupal 8. Um, but then we also have a custom module in georgia.gov that any custom sources, any uh, custom source plugins or process plugins all kind of live in that uh, module so that we can keep track of, you know, where our, our modifications are. So we're not, we only have one module um, to kind of manage that process. We also took an approach of, there's a lot of different ways that you can manage things. Um, you can, you can write custom uh, plugins for everything. If you want, you can you can uh, do the, you can still use hook row pr uh, prepare prepare prepare, prepare row. row. Um, there's a hook plugins migration plugins alter, alter that mm. you can use. So there's a couple of different hooks that you can use. So that, and then they, there's the YAML files themselves. So there's several different places where you can do this, and it's not as though like one is right and one is wrong. They're mm. they're alternative ways that you can accomplish things. We took an approach, or we tried to take an approach of wherever we could to put the code into the YAML file. Like, it, if it could be done in the YAML file, we tried to do it in the YAML file, just so that there was sort of a consistency of approach. But even with that, we've still got lots of places where we're using hook prepare row, um, or one of those. So hook prepare row is interesting because um, that is a place where you can do like individual record changes. like. I, I'm going to have a particular record that needs to be handled a little bit differently than every other record. So I can't put that into a YAML file. I, I need to do a dynamic process when that particular row is being processed. So I can do that kind of thing in hook prepare row. Um, the hook migration plugins alter is really interesting because uh, I can actually change what's in the YAML file. So I can create a YAML file that defines the, the general state of things and I can use this uh, hook migra migration plugins alter to say in some dynamic way I want to change that YAML file uh, for a particular situation. So the combination gives you, there's a tremendous amount of flexibility. It is a huge learning curve to figure out where all this is and how you can use it, but once you figure it out, it's enormously powerful. Yeah. I had to read code. Like, I, to me, the, the key was not documentation, not articles, but reading. Like the 
migrate in core module is great it has a lot of documentation in it that you can read by just reading the source code the set of contributed modules that are around it the migrate tools uh, migrate upgrade correct me if I'm wrong there are a couple more that I've been using yep. as well and they, they work together one with another and and they are great as well they have examples in there so it was from to me reading what what each of these plugins are doing what led me uh, to, to set up the migration the way I wanted to. April, what was the easiest way for you to learn? Like, what, what did you find? Um, the documentation is very thorough, and then there are lists of... The, the ENCODE documentation, is that what you're saying, or the Drupal.org um, documentation? Drupal.org. Okay. So there's, there's documentation on... There's lists of what uh, process plugins are available, um, and there's just a lot of information there. And once you click on one of the processes, it takes you to the API page that then shows you, of oh. course, the, the inline documentation for that plugin. Um, and then just, you know, various sites to just kind of see how other people were doing it. Um, and then using a lot of Karen's examples that she was using on lullabot.com uh, was very helpful. By the way, uh, the, the lullabot.com migration code I'm going to make public someplace because oh, it might nice. be useful to other people. Right on. So That's cool. FYI. Um, yeah, I, I, for me, a lot of it was... Um, was just trying things out. Like you had to sort of, you have to do a certain amount of experimentation to figure out whether you get, how to get the results that you want. Yeah. Um, if if the out of the box isn't it, um, you have to start to see like, what kind of data do I actually have to work with? And where is it? And how do I get it into the, mm -hmm. into the destination in the way that I want? I like to share a funny Migration is a scenario I found this these past few days. The thing is that suddenly the resulting migrations were giving us broken thumbnails, and and we didn't know what was what what was happening there. And the thing we discovered is that um, we were running the migration in Circle CI because, as I said, we didn't have a development environment. And Circle CI has a timeout of five hours per job. And we were we were over that. Besides, we, we it takes like 20 hours to to migrate everything in Bravo, and and sometimes we still get a timeout. That's a lot of content. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. And it, I think it's not just the content; it's the complexity. It takes a lot of CPU to figure out um, how to migrate each of the nodes because there are so many fields, there are so many plugins that take into account that um, that takes a lot of time. So we discovered that. Um, Silently, the um, uh, some of the thumbnails uh, we were, were using media in eight. So uh, with media, you got the option to just migrate, let's say, one video, but let's leave the thumbnail downloading for later, uh, and that that gives you a chance to split the migration in several steps, so you don't hear a timeout in the, like in in our case. So there is so there was so much content that. Uh, we weren't allowing enough time to that queue to be completed. So bit by bit, day by day, that queue started growing until people started so seeing it and, and they, they started pointing at broken thumbnails. So we started thinking like, what's going, what's going on with this? And then there was one day that I downloaded the, data, the database. I looked at the queue somehow and, and found that there were still items there. So the, the migration actually creates a queue, and you could see that the correct. queue wasn't clear. Correct. Like, there were still migration tasks correct. pending. Yeah, yeah, and it okay. was just by luck that I saw the queue, but yeah. I, I kept looking at the code, and everything went fine. And the thing is that 
it's time consuming. Like whenever you're debugging a migration, unless you are able to uh, reduce the problem to just a few seconds, sometimes I, I just click a button and on Friday and I tell my, my girlfriend, I'll check tomorrow. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and if it doesn't yeah. work, I, I need just 10 minutes to make another change, click again, and then Sunday I'll check again. Because <laughs> that's that's the, the XKCD where the computer programmers yeah, totally. are sword fighting or something. Totally. It's like, yeah, my migration's running. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, actually working. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. when, you, when you have no clue, I mean, I, I've, been, I've been through that. I had to do it that way because I had no idea what was happening. Yeah, yeah and, and test early and often, you know, to, you know, test one field at a time so that you're not, you know, trying to run the whole migration. And there are ways to run it and also say, only do this for the next five records or do this for this particular node ID so that it only runs for that record and not, you know, a list of content um, can cut sometimes. Wampy, do you have any final words? Yes. I've been dealing also with incremental migrations for anybody who has never done it. It's, um, so there is a full migration and then once you're ready to go live, um, you run small migrations to get the latest content so you can go live. Um, this stuff is still unstable. Uh, if you want to do this, check Drupal.org because there are patches that work. And Un unstable like it's not going to work or unstable like it's going to take some un effort? Unstable means that if editors make changes on the Drupal 8 side, you will get funny results. Karen, any final thoughts? Uh, I don't think I have any more. That I, I can't think of any more right now. <laughs> it's because migrations just kind of take everything out of you. They, they do. There's <laughs> like so many things, I don't even know where to start. April? Yeah, I don't really have anything either. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, any, any, any final thoughts? Thanks, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.